0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Catholic Connect podcast and a very pleasant good day to you wherever you may be in this fine universal church. And yes, indeed, that is a nod to the late, great Vin Scully, not only an amazing baseball broadcaster, you all know, I'm a big sports fan, longtime voice of the Los Angeles Dodgers, but also he was our brother in Christ. Uh, very well-known practicing Catholic and a lot of great stories on the internet and on YouTube that you can check out about his life and his legacy, but um, always firm in his faith of Jesus Christ and went through a lot of tragedy in his life as well. Uh, a lot of uh, people in his life passed away, but he always relied on God's grace. So we remember Vin and all the souls in purgatory. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord. Let perpetual light shine upon them. May they rest in peace. Amen. And the greatest uh, charitable thing that we could do for our brothers and sisters that are in the church suffering is to remember them in our prayers, in our thoughts, our works, our good deeds, our inconveniences, our mortifications. Let's offer them up for the holy souls in purgatory. Well, it's great to have you join us here as we record this. It is a fantastic hot summer (laughs) that we're having in Canada, and I hope you're having a chance to have some vacation and some rest and relaxation. Boy, lots going on in the world and a lot going on in the church. And as always, we're trying to cover it as best we can here on this podcast and giving you a little glimpse into the world of the Catholic Church, this great universal church we belong to with a lot of people that are flawed, no question about that, and uh, myself included. But uh, we have to rely on the cross of Jesus Christ. Indeed, until we bring the world to Jesus Christ on the cross, it really is hard to envision any kind of scenario where things will improve. But that's our mission, and that's why it's so exciting to be a Catholic. That's why I love doing this podcast, sharing the good news with you, and encouraging you to go and do the same thing. That's what we've got to do. Us as lay people. this is where we've got to start. We've got to speak up. We've got to speak with conviction and courage and, uh, and educate, catechize people, instruct the ignorance. One of the greatest things we could possibly do and I'm just so glad that you're along for this uh, this journey to eternal life with me. So make sure that we keep our own souls clean. And then we take care of our spouses and our children and the rest of our community. And uh, let's do that in short order. We need it right now. We need that action right away. So really excited to share this conversation with Mark Lozano from Christ Centered Capital. So much good content and great resources that Mark and his group have over there. And uh, he gives this great uh, story about his conversion. And I really appreciated him being so candid and sharing uh, that story with us of how he came back to the cross of Christ in the Catholic Church. And we also talk about something that's not often talked about in the circles of our church. And that is being stewards, good stewards of the financial wealth that we have, the money that we've been given, that God has given to us to be stewards of. And uh, it really does um, make a difference what who we invest in, these big companies that uh, we know what the culture is like right now. We know that there's agendas that are pushed that are many times the opposite of the message of the gospel. So Mark and his group at Christ Centered Capital are kind of giving us a glimpse on how we can invest through the, the lens of the gospel, the way that Jesus would want us to do and how to be wise stewards of our money. And uh, I found this scripture verse from uh, from St. Paul's letter to Timothy. and I thought it was very timely. This is from uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, verse 9 and onward. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and hurtful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced their hearts with many pangs. So this goes to show you that even 2000 years ago, people had a problem with the love of money and uh, we got to make sure we make that distinction. Remember, money is not evil. It's the love of money and what we do with it that makes all the difference in the world. So really excited to share this conversation with Mark Lozano from Christ Centered Capital and we'll see you on the other side of the interview, my friends. Well, praise be Jesus Christ now and forever. Well, we're very blessed to have this gentleman join us up here in the Great White North on our podcast. He holds an undergrad and graduate degrees in business and economics, and he played some Div 2 college hoops as well, which is super interesting. Uh, also recently spent six years working for the NBA in business operations, and his most recent endeavor is being the founder of a fantastic website and YouTube channel called Christ Centered Capital. And He's also a convert from atheism to Catholicism, and he's a family man, and he's our brother in Christ. Welcome, Mark Lozano, to the Catholic Connect podcast. Hello, Mark. Hello, David. Thank you for having me. That was a great introduction. <laughs> hey, no problem. Once in a while, I'll get it right if I prepare and uh, and have a great script that you actually emailed me. So, <laughs> so yeah. thanks for that, man. I appreciate that. So, hey, there's so many so many great things about you. At first, I uh, heard about. Um, your, your ministry and this website that you've set up called Christ Centered Capital and then when you did send me a little more information about you Mark I'm like wow oh, there's a lot of great stuff in, in Mark's life uh, is uh, his relatively short life so far that uh, I'd love to chat about so so before we get into Christ Centered Capital and we'll talk about that in a minute for sure but I'm really intrigued by your journey from atheism to Catholicism so let's start with your journey to the church Mark.
1: Yeah, so I was born a Catholic, um, but I was not raised at all. My family, uh, we made i me and my sister. I have one older sister. Uh, we were made the sacraments, and then we protested with our mom driving home from confirmation and never went back. <laughs> and it, it's a, it's a sad story, but a story that's I mean all too often true. And um, my I preface that because my parents. Um, they didn't offer up too much resistance to us not going back to church. And that was because of my sister being born with a brain tumor when she was really little, um, the brain tumor, she was born with sight and the brain tumor rested on her optic nerve and they had to cut out her optic nerve to cut out the brain tumor. And she had to go through a whole bunch of chemotherapy and radiation and everything else. And my parents In a way, understandably so. Were very much um, they they had a lot of trouble dealing with the fact of all the things my sister went through at such a young age, as you know any parent would, and the easy scapegoat was God to blame there. So, and again, it's it's kind of a it's a sad story, but it's a story that is very predictable in a lot of ways. And I, being the 11, 12 year old making my confirmation, just wanted my Sundays back to sleep in and, to, you know, play video games, whatever it was. So I protested. They didn't offer much resistance. We never went back. And then from there on out, it was a very secular lifestyle. And I have two things about me that my family and friends who know me well, especially who knew me well when I was younger, would if you told them to... Give me something about Mark. Tell me two things about Mark. The two things would be I was very callous in my personality. I was not very good at showing empathy or sympathy to people, and I was very obsessive. So I was a dog with a bone. If you gave me something that piqued my interest or there was something that I thought I could use to acquire a skill to get more praise or achievements, that's I was tunnel vision, 100%. So those two attributes – Along with my secular family, going through high school, I grew into atheism, a very hedonistic lifestyle. I excelled in academics and sports, but it was all ego-driven, 100% all the way. I was very successful in both my sport of choice basketball and academics, but it was uh, I was miserable going through. I lied to myself constantly that I was not miserable. But you I just said, oh, the next achievement, the next success, the next 25 point game, the next, you know, uh, um, a plus on a test, the next whatever, the, the next higher end on the SAT. Uh, that's going to be what's going to give me that kind of fulfillment, that happiness, that contentness. And of course, that never comes, as we know, like that never comes from any of those things. But me being a a teenager and not really having any kind of influence in my life that was pointing to the almighty, it just grew and grew and grew. And that pride grew and grew. And eventually I go to college. I choose not to play basketball in college because of pride. I didn't get the scholarship offers to the major D1s that I wanted to. So I said, if I can't be the best, I'm not going to even play at all right? Even though I had these offers to go to lesser schools, D2 schools, or D3 schools. And I end up going to college on an academic scholarship, but there's a stipulation. I have to have a work-study job to maintain my scholarship. So I, they immediately, going into college, I went to a very small college in Florida called Florida Southern College, only about 2,500 enrollment. My high school was actually bigger than the college. But they knew of me because I was—I grew up and played basketball and went to school for high school about an hour away from where Florida Southern College is. I grew up in Bradenton, Florida. And so they knew of my basketball background. And they said, oh, you can go be a manager or something for the boys team. Well, I thought that completely beneath me. I was like, there's no way I'm going to go be a manager for a team I could have played for. you know? I, I, and again, all pride, all ego driven, all just terribleness. But they offered me a student coach position for the women's team. Uh, given my background in basketball, you know, put the, the women's players through drills and everything like that. And this is where the story got somewhat interesting and somewhat predictable because there's always a girl involved, right? Um, <laughs> I, uh, I meet the, the other freshman. Uh, she's a freshman point guard for the women's basketball team. Her name's Taylor, and she's like the star recruit coming in. And our first exchange with each other was actually uh, very rude and off-putting from both of us. So she comes in and she's like, why are you at our practice? Like, Why is this random guy at our practice? And I'm like, because I'm paid to be here. And that was our only interaction. And a whole year goes by and we lose our two main scorers on the women's basketball team now taylor who's now a sophomore she has to be like the she has to step up her game she has to be a big time scorer all that kind of stuff and my number one job as uh kind of the student coach position is to make her into that score and i think her coach um and my boss had a little plan all along of putting us together but she was a cradle catholic and i i was a uh, vehemently opposed to all religion, especially Catholicism, because that was the one I actually had a little bit of experience with. And I mean, I thought it was all nonsense, all gobbledygook, you know, whatever it was. And eventually we end up starting to date Taylor and I starting to date. And I, I learn of her, you know, Catholic faith. I learn of her uh, commitment to it. And I just think in the back of my head, she spends enough time with me. She's going to outgrow that. Right. Well, we go through our entire college career. We both went to grad school. So we went through undergrad, grad school. I ended up playing for the boys team uh, in my my junior and senior year into grad school. And we, me and Taylor stayed together the entire time and we argued the entire time. I don't know how we stayed together to this day. I have no idea. I mean, t- to this day, she's now my wife with three kids and a fourth on the way. Uh, praise be to God. But I have no idea how we stayed together that whole time. And now that was a very long-winded way of telling you how I came to the faith because I came to the faith because I was going to prove her wrong. We stayed together for so long all through our college career. I was like, we're not going away or out of each other's lives because we've tried that and we keep coming back. But I'm going to prove her wrong get her to dismiss this nonsense, and then she'll come over to my side, right? Well, I have that obsessive personality. So I read everything I could get my hands on. I mean, I read every new atheist writing from Dawkins, Dennett, and Harris, and... um I read Graham Oppy and Friedrich Nietzsche and all, and you know Feuerbach and Karl Marx. Then I had to know what the other side was talking about too, so I read everything from Chesterton to C.S. Lewis to the Catechism of the Church to all other uh, religious types of readings. I read the Quran cover to cover, even the Bible, and this created a couple problems for me. There was one: I realized I'm not near as smart as I thought I was because I read all that stuff and understood about two percent of it. And that was a huge ego blow, right? Because I realized, oh man, I'm not as smart as I thought I was, and that's that'll kill the pride. And then two, I started becoming intellectually convinced of Christianity to the point where I would argue with my wife, or at the time, girlfriend, how wrong Catholicism was. But then, if I was in a conversation with someone else and they characterized or like ridiculed a theistic idea. I would get angry with them. Hmm. So I, and then I had to commit to myself. So I really intellectually was a Christian. I was just emotionally very much opposed to it. And uh, that all changed one day when I finally, finally got down on my knees and was like, God, your will be done. When you finally engage in that open, honest, genuine prayer, I believe that that's when God really, I mean, people pray all the time, right? People pray to win the lottery. People pray, you know, know, that their uh, kids are born healthy and everything in between. But when you engage in that open, honest prayer, the prayer is always, Lord, your will be done. And when I prayed that prayer, I mean, I got hit like a ton of bricks. And I was an intellectual Christian before that. And then after that, I mean, the spiritual floodgates opened up.
0: Wow. Wow. That's, uh, that's awesome. That's so powerful. So, um, a lot of, uh, I mean, look throughout history. I mean, a lot of, look at St. Augustine, I guess that's the, or St. Augustine. That's my guy. I yeah. That's I read, right. I read yeah. everything. Right. Uh, I mean, you know, that's, uh, it sounds like it was kind of an, an Augustine moment in a lot of ways, right? Like it was just, you know, there's this, um, something to be said about that invitation that Jesus gives us too. Right. And it's in our hearts and, we're always trying to fill things with stuff, you know, whether that's, uh, you know, that was sports for you maybe and, and other things. But, you know, a lot of that's money, it's it's career, it's so many things. But there's this God-shaped hole in all of our hearts, isn't it? And and our, our hearts are restless until they, they rest in Christ, right? Yeah. And man, that's so interesting. So you actually never played college basketball but you ended up coaching that's that's how it no uh, i ended up playing
1: my uh junior and senior year so after taylor and i started dating i really on just an ego thing that i ended up like all right i miss basketball so much i'm gonna go out the coach for the men's team already had known me so i i played my last two years and we actually won the 2015 division two national title um and yeah in 2015 Yeah, and I was awesome. actually a be- I was a bench warmer on that team. We had an amazing squad. We had like guys who still play professionally today that played on that team.
0: Oh, that's pretty cool too. Absolutely, no, that's uh, that's a huge achievement. And you know, I guess when we put our efforts in sports in the right places and and direct our energy, um, and and keep uh, that relationship with Christ at the forefront, we can sports can be such a great thing can it mark like it's you yeah. it can teach uh, especially young people a lot of lessons in life a lot of valuable lessons I know playing baseball was sort of my game growing up um, and even coaching now uh, there's so many great lessons that uh, that sports can teach us and and either you can either you can share vice with kids when you're coaching or you can share virtue with them and, and bring them up mm. in the faith and you don't even have to be that obvious about it but eventually people will know that um, you know the, uh, the the truth of Jesus Christ, and it's going to be evident in in how you uh, approach sports, whether you're playing or coaching. So, so this uh, this sort of metanoia moment this this time where you came to Christ was that after you were done your your basketball career and your college career, and you're kind of moving on into uh, the workforce, or when did that happen for you, Mark?
1: Yes, yeah, so that was pretty much upon graduation. Uh, Taylor and I, of course, we played basketball and everything. Um, in Florida, but we she's from Pennsylvania, which is where we are now. And she comes from a giant family. She's uh, one of eight, number four of the eight, and uh, there are I think there's 14 grandkids and counting right now between all of her siblings for her mom. And we moved up to Pennsylvania after we graduated grad school. And around then, uh, before we were married and everything, that's kind of when that moment took place. And at the time it, I was, uh, that's around that time I was working for the NBA, the national basketball association.
0: Right. And, uh, boy, speaking of, uh, of wokism and this, uh, this secularism, it, it seems like these professional sports leagues and, uh, they seem to embody that right to a T don't they mark it's, uh, it's well, one thing to to look at it as a fan, but to be actually in one of those uh, the big sports organizations like the NBA and, and working for the association, I'm sure you saw a lot of that uh, firsthand.
1: Yeah, so working for the NBA when I first started, even though I was I was kind of a professed Christian at the time, it like the NBA was like my dream job. I mean, mm-hmm. it was um, a, a good job, good benefits, good everything. Like, you know, I was able to travel and be at like NBA all-star games and stuff like that. It was it was really like a dream job, but I, w- I was a kind of a new Christian at the time and giving a little bit of time, those moral convictions started to take root in me. And I was a, essentially in a lot of ways, a money manager for the NBA business operations. So... I got kind of insight to a lot of things that would was very counter to those moral Christian convictions that were taking root in me. And you actually hit the nail on the head when you were saying sports can be such a great thing to teach uh, youth virtue. One thing we don't realize too often is that sports in general, like basketball, they were designed – for children. And we now pay grown men millions and millions of dollars to play these sports that were designed for children or for, you know, teenagers at at the most. And I have a theory because I've done a lot of study into Dr. James Naismith, the inventor of basketball.
0: He was from Canada.
1: Exactly. You know, shout out to Canada. (laughs) If uh, I love the guy, he invented my favorite sport. If you transplanted him into today's world, Dr. Naismith would be kind of astounded. Like, he'd be shocked to see mm. the NBA for what it is. He's like, why are these men playing a sport I designed for children as their careers? Mm. Um, a lot of people, and this actually goes back to, um, you know, a lot of the problems in wokeism that we have today. It's not the first go around in human civilization, right? You go back to ancient Rome. One thing right before the decay of Rome, right before its downfall, there was a lot of similarities to what we have going on right now. One, celebrities and professional athletes were put on a pedestal for the first time really in human civilization. And there was a lot of transgenderism. Those two things happened right before the the fall of Rome because of a decadent society. And so I I love sports. I mean, I made a living off of sports for so long and my life was sports for so long. But there's something about professional sports that just does not sit right with me after spending so much time in that space.
0: There seems to be a real uh, darkness that's uh, kind of uh, cast its shadow upon, you know, basketball courts, uh, hockey rinks, the gridiron, baseball diamonds. Uh, Yeah, you know, that's an interesting point you make about uh, James Naismith as well, is that, uh, you know, he was at university, I believe, right? Or was it in high school, I think, Mark? And the story Mm -hmm. is, you know, he would use the peach baskets, right? Yeah, yeah. Put them up. And it was just a game for mainly for boys to just get up and get active, something different. Exercise. Minds focused. Yeah, some exercise, um, probably some teamwork there too. And uh, of course, then just the discovery of uh, having to, someone get up on a ladder and grab the ball out of the peach basket every time, why don't we just cut a hole in the bottom of the peach basket <laughs> and off we go. The rest is history. But, uh, boy, and that, and that's, uh, that's something that sports, I think it can be used for good in so many ways. It really can be, especially at oh, a yeah. youth level and even for adults. So, you know, we have a lot of people in Canada here that play pickup hockey. You know, you, you go to the rink, you, you have a team of 12, 15 guys play once a week, get some exercise, get to know each other. Um, yeah sports can be very virtuous, but yeah the the pro sports scene, I mean that's something I think that a lot of people of faith really wrestle with mark right and yeah and uh, and money is another thing too where it's um the amount of money that gets tossed around and and then you hear you know especially through free agency up here in Canada we got a lot of hockey fans so there's uh recently there's a guy named Johnny Goudreau, who's uh, a big star with the Calgary flames that left the team for. Just a you know a better offer to uh, to the Columbus Blue Jackets, and but the the thing that kept was brought up over and over again by Johnny and by you know the people that handle him is it's just business, it's just business, and uh, and it makes you kind of scratch your head and kind of wish for the days where there was just the loyalty of just enjoying your local sports team, uh, yeah. having fun watching them, whereas now business has become so big and we're talking tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. It's it's hard to wrap your head around that, and even now I think uh, I think as the Washington Nationals, Juan Soto, uh, turns down a four hundred and forty million dollar contract uh, for fifteen years to play baseball. And talk about a a kid's sport. Um, that's baseball. Yeah. <laughs> so it's amazing. Now it's um, and yeah, it's it's certainly something that uh, kind of makes you scratch your head a little bit too as a, as a person of faith, especially as a Catholic, and how we can we can reconcile these things. So. So you're working for the NBA. What is sort of the you already you're trying to live a life of with Jesus Christ? I'm I'm assuming now living that sacramental life, probably coming back to confession and and receiving the Eucharist, going to mass. Um, what was sort of that moment uh, where you said maybe I need to? I've got a dream job, and and I'm sure you still have a lot of secular friends that say, man, like Mark, you got a fantastic job going on there. You're married. You're starting a family. But what was that uh, I guess the metanoia moment, the next one for you where you're like, eh, you know what? I need to move away from this current job and do something a little bit different. What was yes, that? Kind
1: of like that was me? that was a that was a moment where there was a lot of resistance from me, but a very clear message from God. Um a very clear message from our Lord. Um I as the I left the NBA in twenty twenty, kind of at the height of the pandemic. And or a little couple months after the height of the pandemic. And I was going back to reading a lot of the things I had read at the beginning of my intellectual conversion. And one thing that hit me really, really hard was this quote that was mostly attributed to St. Thomas Aquinas. And that is, whenever you invest in something, that means you want that something to grow in power and influence. And this hit me hard because not only am I making money off of the MBA and putting my time and efforts in there, I'm also, again, my background was international economics, business, finance, and everything. I was actually kind of born and bred to be that Wall Street type player, but I I didn't do that out of pure laziness because I saw their, their 70 hour work weeks and stuff like that. And I kind of went away from there. Um, but I was still investing for myself and I had made a couple of good plays and I was just, I was only looking, I was reading balance sheets and only making investments based on, uh, you know, potential ROI. And I realized if I went back and looked at my career at the NBA, my job and the investments I was making, and I asked myself, do I want any of these things to grow in power and influence? The clear cut answer was no. I love basketball but I don't want the NBA I don't want professional sports to grow in power and influence professional sports are an idol making factory I mean they they produce idols left and right as you can see in in any professional sport when you look at kids and like it, it becomes a really weird thing when you have like men and kids and everyone wearing another person's name on their back It's a very weird thing if you really think about it from a a Mm -hmm. truly Christian Catholic social teaching perspective. Mm -hmm. So I realized, man, the things I'm putting my time and my money into are not things that I actually want to grow in power and influence. If anything, they're the things I'm talking to my wife and my young children about that. like We should be avoiding these things. We shouldn't be going to these things. Daddy was going to All-Star Weekend for the NBA, but I would never let my daughter watch All-Star Weekend. Uh, for the NBA of the things that they're doing at halftime and the shows and all this kind of stuff. So I went to my wife and I was like, and we had just bought a house at the time. We had uh, two kids with our third on the way. We have four, we have three children with a fourth on the way. Now we have a four-year-old, a two-year-old and a 10 month old. And we literally just bought a house, got third kids on the way. We just bought a big old puppy. She's a giant bernie's mountain dog poodle mix like we we were kind of like settling into our lives and i had this realization like wow i need to get out of here i have no idea what i'm going to do and i originally had the thought that i was going to go work for one of these new um trendy like bri firms bri means biblically responsible investing uh because i was like that's my forte that's what i went to school for i'm doing well for myself but I was going to do my research first. And what I found out was none of these BRI firms were really as strict as I wanted them to be. Because a lot of BRI firms, they'll take out explicit abortion providers, explicit pornography producers, but they're going to leave in the companies that fund those organizations, that fund those endeavors to the tunes of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars a year. And that didn't sit right with me either. Mm -hmm. And I realized, all right, the skill set I have, thing God's calling me to do, and the research I'm doing in today's world, at back time, then it was 2021, you can invest anywhere commission free. Like you can invest in a lot of different places, a lot of different apps and everything commission free, you know, millions of dollars. You just need quality information. And I realized no one was really producing quality information, not just from a financial perspective, but from an ethics perspective, from a Christian moral perspective. And I figured I could do those two things with the help of a few others and um, some researchers. So I started the website, Christ Center Capital, almost as soon as I quit the MBA. And I started that site to provide people with not only timely investment information on stocks, cryptos, ETFs, or alternative investments, but to put those timely investments through a proper moral screening process and let you know, what are these investments funding? Are they supporting abortion, pornography, contraception, human trafficking, child labor, bad politicians, or any of the like? And uh, so that all happened very fast and I resisted a lot, but. The funny story about it is a side note here. Um, I was really debating whether or not to leave the NBA. I put in my two week notice. I told everybody, you know, my family is still somewhat secular and I'm telling friends and family and everybody. The reason I'm telling everybody is because I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to, I knew they were going to come back with an offer and I didn't want to take that offer. And, you know, just because it was too tempting or something like that. So I'm like, I know myself, I know my ego, I'm telling everybody. And, my boss, the day before my two-week notice comes up, my boss emails me and says, hey, we're going to offer you um, you know, increased benefits and a new position potentially and all that stuff. But before you respond to it, wait a couple minutes. The reason he told me that is because he knew an email that was coming down the pike from to the entire NBA from the deputy commissioner. And he knew I was leaving based on principles. Well, this email that came in right after my offer email was an email from the deputy commissioner, Mark Tatum of the NBA. And it said that the NBA was now officially partnering with an organization called Athlete Ally. Athlete Ally is a nonprofit organization down in Florida that its specific goal is to get transgender women biological boys to compete at the high school and middle school level in female sports. That's their goal. And that's what the NBA was partnering with. So I wow, left the NBA. Is, uh, providential,
0: yeah. isn't it, Mark? That's really interesting.
1: Yeah. So left the NBA, started Christ Center Capital, and it's what we've been doing now. <laughs> Man, that's so
0: good. What what do you say to people that maybe are in a, a job that uh Hey, a lot of us in the Catholic Church work for secular companies. I would be one myself uh, that I've been uh, with this particular company for a long time already. Um, you get into a, um, you might actually really enjoy your job. Like I'm sure there's a lot of aspects of the job that you really enjoyed. But there's certain things that, that come up and it's usually with these, you uh, you know, these kind of these these little social programs, these little justice programs that kind of come through, they kind of sneak their way into the organization. And then a lot of times they really pressure someone of faith to really follow along. And that can really um, raise a lot of red flags, can it? So what would you say to someone? Uh, Because we we do have a lot of our, our Catholic brothers and sisters in Christ and other people of goodwill that work for large corporations, enjoy what they do. But yeah, they're starting to see kind of the, like I said, these red flags that say, man, this is really contrary to my faith and really what I believe in as a follower of Christ. What do you say to those people?
1: So I do research on companies now for a living. Uh, that's what I do for Christ in our capital. And what I, what I tell people is be bold because I always think God is going to reward you for being bold, but also do things with prudence because prudence is also a virtue And there's not a blanket uh, one size fits all for this because you know you have your family situation, you have the 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 job itself, you have you know bills to take care of, you have and sometimes organizations. Some organizations are better than others, and some organizations are worse than others. I've had a lot of uh, secular jobs before I even landed at the NBA, and none of them were Catholic or Christian per per se, but they were a lot better than the NBA. The NBA Mm -hmm. was one that, you know, they stepped over quite a few kind of lines in the sand. And Mm -hmm. that's something that you kind of got to, you know, you have to uh, discern for yourself as like, have they crossed a certain line to where there is no really returning from that or are like? And then also one of the questions that me and my wife talked about when I was um, discerning, leaving the NBA was there's always the argument of, can you be a light in a dark place? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Can you, you know, be the example, but there's something to that where do you actually have the influence to be the light? Are you low man on the totem pole? Are you middle management? Are you higher up? Can you actually influence culture and policy in that organization? So it's a very mixed bag. It's very individualized. And I mean, we would all say like, if you're you're a Catholic, a practicing Catholic, and you're working for Planned Parenthood, yeah, it's a no brainer. You should probably get out of there. For me, it was a no brainer when I was working for the NBA. I'm not saying the NBA is killing babies or anything like that, yeah. you know, anything the is, sphere but like, of for,
0: influence uh, is massive though.
1: Yeah. So like for me, it was a no brainer. Um, there was other uh, jobs that I've held in the past where I would have had to really, really think about it. It wasn't mm-hmm. so obvious. Um, maybe I should have, maybe I should should have left. Maybe I could have stayed, you know, depending on that moral sphere, but it's a, it's a very individualized
0: approach there. It does get tricky. And, uh, on the, the topic of investment too, and, and it is important. I mean, a lot of us Catholics really don't think too much about it, but let's, let's, uh, let's talk about this really quickly. A lot of us that do work for large corporations, you're stuck into a pension program, right? So you've got your, your, maybe it's a group RSP, maybe it's a pension fund, a plan that they've got. And, uh, a lot of large corporations have it. You can go and see what, uh, what the funds are. Usually they give you a couple different choices, right? And then if you look in the funds and you see who the actual companies are, it's all the big blue chip, you know, banks, pharmaceuticals, energy companies. Yeah. And you're like, well, there's nothing unique about this, but your money's kind of stuck there, right? There's not much you can do about it. But uh, yeah, what would you say to, to, to someone that maybe doesn't, isn't kind of stuck in one of those types of plans, but they have some money that they need to invest in, why is it important for them to, to focus and, and be good, um, to be prudent, but being good stewards of their finances as well? Why is God calling us to that?
1: Influence. So that's the that's the word I always want to harp on here. Because there's a couple of different ways of a family to evangelize the world around them. I believe that prayer, we know, is obviously the strongest, most powerful tool in in our uh, in our armory. Right? Prayer is so powerful. Number two is probably what I call the 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 family ideology, meaning like how you raise your kids, kind of the example you're setting forth, whether you have kids or not. Just that family or that living by example, right? That's probably the number two. I am a strong advocate that the number three way to influence and evangelize the culture around you is through the investment dollar. And people don't think about that a lot, but the government and these major corporations that are publicly traded, what you do with your investment money is what you do with your excess. So when you use your excess to fund a certain organization or asset, you are saying that like it is so important for me to make money that I want this organization, no matter what it does, to grow in power and influence. What you do with your excess also carries more moral weight, more moral culpability to it, more moral responsibility. Because we can always say, oh, Amazon's a bad organization and they fund this and they fund that and everything. But if you're a single mother and you need you know, diapers and Amazon is by far the most easy and convenient and cheap way to get it, there's not a lot of moral culpability there. But if you have investment dollars and you're buying Amazon stock, there is Moral culpability there because you didn't need that money to put food on the table. You didn't need that money to pay your mortgage or buy your kids' uh, clothes for school. Otherwise, you want to be investing it. Mm-hmm. So, what we do with our investment dollars, it just carries so much moral weight because we're funding the corporations that are the biggest influencers on society. So, we kind of have a motto here that Christian investing equals a Christian culture secular investing will equal a secular culture
0: hmm. that's profound and back to professional sports and how much we support uh, that machine right uh, yeah of uh, buying the jersey buying the uh, the subscription to us to a, a sports channel uh, these are all things that that push influence right and uh boy a lot of us hold our, our noses too mm-hmm. and we see some of the stuff that happens in, in a in the arena of sports where things should be innocent. But uh, again, child's game, but it's uh, anything but lately. I, I also, it's an interesting point you make, Mark, about uh, influence. And um, I think this it raises an interesting point about tithing, something that we don't talk a lot about in the church. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of, you know, suggestions. I mean, if you go to there's, there's biblical evidence of tithing for sure. And even putting a number like 10% behind it, mm-hmm. it's something that we can find in scripture. And even some saints have talked about it too. But um, how important is it for us to make sure that at the end of each week, at the end of our the paycheck, what we have earned, that we do set aside money to, to donate, especially to, um, to organizations that, uh, that are um, promoting, the, promoting the church, promoting life, Promoting that kind of a culture, how important is that, Mark?
1: It's it's so crucial. It is so crucial because, again, where you're putting your money, where you, and even if you're just donating money, say you're not investing it, if you're just donating, where you're giving money is what you're saying. Like, uh, let's back up. We live in the enemy's world, right? This is we're we're in the enemy's camp right now. Mm -hmm. We are, we are in the enemy's camp and everyone loves the cliche of like love makes the world go round. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Money makes the world go round because it's the number 1 tool that the enemy uses. Money in itself not bad, right? Not not an evil or anything like that. But the, the relentless pursuit of pursu- it. Right, yeah, but the, the relentless of pursuit the of it. Mm-hmm. The relentless pursuit of it, that is that is what the enemy constantly uses against us. And so when we say with our money you know, actions always speak louder than words. The loudest actions are the ones we take with our dollars. Because when we say, because that that's the thing that's always nearest and dearest to everyone's heart, right? You know, your bank account, your pocketbook, your wallet. When you actually take money out, give it away or invest it into a, a morally just organization or give it away to a charity that's supporting, you know, Christian ethics and pro-life and all that kind of stuff. You're saying, I want that to grow in power and influence. And mm-hmm. that that means so much to the culture around you, to the society around you.
0: Mm-hmm. Think about the missionary efforts of, you know, say from a couple hundred years ago from from Europe. We had a lot of a lot of priests, a lot of religious cat to come across. You had to get on that boat, get a ticket and had uh, to come across uh, the ocean to come and, and spread the gospel. And mm-hmm. there were people, probably benefactors, a lot of them even at the time it was royalty that would give money for this kind of thing to happen. And uh and in a lot of case well, there were some cases where they were nefarious, but in most cases it was for the spiritual benefit, it was for the benefit of the church, was to build the kingdom of Christ. And until recently, even in North America, Mark, we've had a lot of a lot of priests, a lot of religious that would be born in Canada, the United States, and go on missionary trips to South America, to Africa. Uh, you know, so um those are investments when we're, when we're giving our money, uh, and think about treasure on earth where we know that, uh, it's going to eventually, uh, corrode and, and wither away about mm-hmm. treasures in heaven. And these little things that we can do, these little, little investments in the kingdom of heaven that, uh, that may have returns that we won't see on earth, but they certainly will when we get to the, into the next life. Right. Absolutely. So, uh, Christ centered capital. So when you're, you're looking at individual stocks for the most part, I'm guessing, Mark. And you're you've got sort of a review process. You've got some some uh, certain uh, KPIs, if I may use a the secular <laughs> term, go. to to determine uh, what uh, what fits the criteria of, uh, of Christ-centered capital. So maybe tell us a little bit about that process, Mark. How do you arrive at uh, having a, a recommended stock that you say you know these these check the boxes real well? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So our process um, is somewhat interesting because we don't, our site is completely free. You can go on there. You can see all of our recommendations. You can sign up for our newsletter. All of it's completely free because we don't want any barriers to entry to this information. That's how like, that's how important we think it is. We believe it is. What we do is we allow the market to do the heavy lifting financially for us. So we have monitors on all the major market players, whether that be stock pickers, major investment firms like the Morgan Stanley's and Vanguard's and Goldman Sachs of the world, um, everything down to your YouTube influencers that are throwing out their stock picks, right? And what we do is we take a report every single week of those assets now sometimes they're cryptocurrencies most of the time they are just stocks. sometimes there's etfs that make it in there sometimes there's alternative you know investing avenues that make it on there and what we do is we take that information and we see is there a consensus anywhere is enough people talking about one particular asset if a certain asset meets our consensus criteria and that criteria varies depending on the type of asset we take that asset and then put it through a moral screening process because here's the thing, every single investment is its own little rabbit hole when you're talking about ethically screening it. It's not a one-size-fits-all. For You know, an energy company compared to a tech company compared to a cryptocurrency compared to, uh, you know, a mining ETF like they are all so different on the things you have to look for and the things you have to be aware of. And that would be a lot of research for any one individual to do. But luckily, we're I'm a research analyst by trade almost. And we have these people that are committed to this and sympathetic to this cause. So we take those we take our curation report is what we call it. And then we, if any of those assets meet that consensus, we put it through its own individualized uh, moral screening process, which takes a couple of days to make sure that we've dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's. And then we have a rating system that's color coded. Uh, We have gold assets. So if you make it into our report and you're a gold asset, that means you passed our moral screening process. So not only is the market recommending this asset from a financial perspective, it also passed our moral screening process. So those are our gold assets, obviously, and unfortunately, they're few and far between. Only about, I want to say, I had this number just recently, about 8% of the assets that make it into our report get one of these gold ratings. So we're very strict and we're probably almost too strict to some degrees. But we want to be more strict than less. So, you know, because people come to our site, we don't manage money for anybody. They're coming to our site and they have to discern for themselves whether or not, you know, we've made a good moral argument for or against an asset. The second rating is a purple rating. Now, a purple rating is an asset that passed our moral screening process, but we don't feel comfortable recommending it. And that may be because it's fairly new maybe there was information that we wanted to find and we couldn't or maybe there it's a hard case to say that whatever that asset is producing as a good or service is really for the moral good so we try to think of that like even if there's a say a soda company that is donating to pregnancy crisis centers and is very pro life and like that's awesome But it's a soda company. It's producing carbonated sugar water. Is that really for the common good? Is that something we want to grow and power and influence? So those companies kind of get our purple rating and the majority of the companies and assets that make it into our report get a red rating. That means they failed our moral screening process. They're either supporting transgender legislation, bad politicians, they're engaged in really nefarious things like human trafficking or child labor, or they're donating directly to abortion service providers. Any of those kind of things gets you a red rating.
0: You know, sometimes you you look at these lists and you're like, man, we're running out of places to actually go and buy things from, right? Like it's uh there's so much um, yeah, illicit activity uh, when it comes to, I should say immoral more than anything, immoral activity that's going on. It's, it's, it's a little bit discouraging, isn't it? Yeah,
1: and I, when I started this, I was kind of more doom and gloom and because I was, I was getting into the weeds and I was seeing all of this stuff that, you know, these major organizations that we frequent weekly, daily are supporting. But what I realized was, is that the Christian world here, I can speak for the U S there are, there is trillions with a T trillions of dollars that funnels through quote unquote Christian households here in the U S that, I mean, these organizations, they don't have moral codes, they, say, they claim they do, but they're about profits. I've worked for enough corporations to know. I'm sure you and your listeners have all known. Their organizations, it's about the business. Like you said, with the sports, it's about business. If they realize if all of those Christian people united or even up one 20th of those Christian people united and said, hey, we're no longer going to invest in Coca-Cola or Amazon, Amazon will come out as a Christian company tomorrow mm-hmm. because they would realize how much they're losing because Chris, the Christian conservative populations, they don't really ride in the streets. Well, they don't really protest well, but they are somewhat conscious of what they do with their finances. Cause it's been ingrained in them and like of the tithing and, you know, giving to the church and everything. Sure. So if you can yeah. unite under that unifying factor, I mean, I I like to be more hopeful than doom and gloom. And I'm like, if Mm -hmm. we can get enough people to buy in to this concept of like, hey, the way you invest matters, Mm -hmm. I think real change could take place. And that that may be a pie in the sky dream, but it's something that we got to constantly work for.
0: I think we're seeing more of that. I think we're especially the last couple of years. Has it been crazy? It's been a crazy, crazy world. It was crazy before that. Now it's just times times 20 times 100 you know depending on your circumstance i think we're seeing a lot of catholics and we're seeing people of goodwill really uniting i know for myself i've told this on the podcast a few few times the story that there were people that um that i never thought i would ever have anything in common with that i never even bothered listening to or talking to because i just thought they were they were in another camp they weren't on team jesus they weren't on team roman catholic wasn't going to have anything to do with them. Well, the Lord has a way of, of hitting people with sledgehammers or two-by-fours and, you know, yeah. he'd prefer to do it softly to somebody. But the last two years has really opened my eyes up to um, people that I didn't think would be allies of ours, uh, people of goodwill, of faith that um, really have values that are, actually, I, I don't like using the word values out of it because I think that's a secular term, but morality that is yeah so close to Jesus Christ, walking... Uh, with Jesus Christ, and may not know it. You know, that's a God-shaped hole in so many people. So, um, I think there is a, an effort. I think now there's sort of this groundswell of people saying, "How can we get together and really make truly make a difference for ourselves and for our children, for our community, to get away from what we see here, this kingdom of darkness?" And some people are they they know it's there's something nefarious about. That kingdom of evil, they just might not know how, what to call it by name yet, right? Because they're yeah. they're not officially in the, the fold of Jesus Christ. But um, I'm really confident that this is gonna this is gonna take off, especially here in the next year or two. Uh, so, so what are your hopes and market for for the the ministry of, of Christ centered capital? Uh, is this a numbers thing for you? What, like, what what is it for you? Like, what do you what do you want to see come forth from this? What kind of fruits do you want to see here in the next uh, year, the next ten years?
1: It's really, it, one, it's really a passion project for me. I mean, I love doing the research and I, I feel so strongly about kind of making the information as available and accessible to as many people as possible. So, I mean, num- specific like actual goals, like we're trying to grow our newsletter. That's our that's our big indicator because we do a newsletter every single Wednesday. It's free to sign up and we try to deliver market news plus our recommendations From a Christian perspective, we try to deliver that market news because everywhere you look, you're getting market news from a secular perspective. So we're trying to really deliver that financial market news from a Christian perspective there to really and we want to grow that newsletter as much as possible, because whenever we've been able to actually speak to someone, whenever someone's actually been able to read that letter on a consistent basis we have had some amazing testimonies come in of people actually realigning their investment life their financial life with their christian life because sometimes i mean ignorant isn't really bliss a lot of people are just ignorant to this a lot of people just do not know like they don't know that hasbro a toy making company donated two hundred thousand dollars to planned parenthood Seems very counter to their business model, but like if you want to have some. There was a story about
0: Toys R Us a few years ago that did something similar too, and it does make you scratch your head. But can you make sense of evil? No, (laughs) you can't. But when
1: when people get this information at at, in front of their eyes at their fingertips, they're. I mean, if if you're an actual on fire, uh, Catholic, you're on fire, person of God, like you, you are, I think, so compelled to take action when you see these types of things of like, wow, I might complain about it on Sunday morning, but I'm funding it. I need to change this. And I, it's, it's uh, the testimonies have been just amazing of people that have like divested, reinvested and reallocated. And we're just trying to get as many people to join that camp as possible.
0: That's no, so exciting. I, I, you know what, Mark, I'm so excited that I literally stumbled across your website and then hearing from some other folks about, uh, about your ministry too, all in the last couple of weeks. So it's, uh, that's been the blessing of this podcast is finding other, uh, folks, brothers in Christ, uh, laboring in the vineyard, just like you, we all have our own skills, our own interests, but man, mm-hmm. when we come together, we make one super team, don't we? Um, you know what, let's get, uh, I'll get to the, um, to your website and how people can get hold of you in a, in a moment. But, uh, and actually, I had like 30 questions for you, Mark. I whittled them down to about half. And I think I only got to half of those in this conversation. It's gone by so fast. Um, I did want to ask you this, and I, I'd like to ask our our uh, guests this question too. Now that you've had that reversion back to the Catholic faith, for our listeners out there, because it's, it's a tough time in the world, even if you think about economically, financially, we see inflation going through the roof, uh, interest rates going up, a lot of uncertainty in, in this uh this fleeting world of ours but what does the sacramental life mean to you mark what is what is that uh, that return to the church and receiving the sacraments what does that mean to you
1: oh man why the the relationship with my wife has been so beautiful because she being a cradle catholic and me um, having a reversion of sorts, and we have that new that kind of phrase that um kind of has been somewhat trendy. I'm not sure if you've heard, but like a born again Catholic. Like my wife was sure. that cradle Catholic, but when I had that reversion, then she became on fire more so than she ever was. And having that that marriage, that 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 sacrament of marriage, and having Our Lady be such a big part of that, because I coming from a more hedonistic background you know an atheist background um and my wife sticking with me through a lot of that there was a lot of damage that was done to both of us to both of us like psychologically emotionally and there's there's a very common trend where you know in this fallen world sometimes um people have trouble with the male figure of christ right Because in this fallen world, and it's such a tragedy, but in this fallen world, it's so obvious. And Our Lady was there to pick up the pieces for both my wife and I and bring us closer to her son. And that is Mm. going to daily mass, going to we try to make confession, at least the first Saturday thing every month. Uh, Beautiful. Just having like just little things like that. I mean, we have three kids, a fourth on the way, and obviously going to Sunday mass is completely chaotic and crazy because we have a four-year-old and a two-year-old and a 10-month-old and everything else. But we try to get ourselves to daily mass just by ourselves at least once a week and receiving the Eucharist, going to that confession and just having spiritual conversations praying every morning, praying every night, it sounds like a lot, but really it just doesn't take that much time. And it just, mm-hmm. it's so fruitful. It is so fruitful. I mean, two minutes of prayer in the morning, two minutes of prayer at night, going to mass once a week and confession on once a month. And like, it just, it, it brings you up. It just, it's just so, such a blessing.
0: That's so great, man. Mark, it's great to have you back in the fold again and back in the vineyard. It's uh, it's a blessing, man. So tell us, uh, tell our listeners how they can get a hold of your website and your, uh, your YouTube channel and, and any of the resources that might be of interest.
1: Yeah. So Christcentercapital.com is the place to go. If that is too long to remember, uh, there's a couple of different URLs that point there. Invest for Christ, invest, F-O-R, Christ.com. That'll get you to the same exact website. Um, and yeah, I just encourage people, you know, check out the YouTube channel, uh, sign up for the newsletter, browse the site. It's all completely free. It's really user-friendly and just try to become a little bit educated about that investment world. And the, I think the body of Christ will be all the better for
0: it. That sounds great, man. Well, let's be in touch, Mark. I appreciate your time very much. God bless you. God bless you. Well, big thanks again to Mark Lozano from Christ Centered Capital for joining us on this episode of the Catholic Connect podcast. Again, that website, ChristCenteredCapital.com. Easy to remember. Write it on your shoes if you have memory issues. Mark's doing some great work in the church and uh, his ministry is going to go places and I can't wait to see it. So, And how about that great testimony from Mark, uh, how he came back into the fullness of faith, walking in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And there's a time and a place for philosophical and theological discussions and arguments with people. Definitely as we need to know our faith, love our faith, defend our faith, and share our faith. No question about that. But sharing your own personal testimony and all the great things that Jesus Christ has done for you in your life. All the great things. You can't argue with somebody's testimony and their story. So come up with something that's short, brief, but powerful. And ask the Holy Spirit. To, to guide you when you give those little speeches to people, that little 30 seconds of what Jesus has done for you in your life. It's very powerful and it gives me a lot of hope. So again, thanks to Mark for joining us on this episode. Man, I'm having so much fun doing this podcast. Uh, it's been great. Thanks for all your feedback. Thanks for reaching out to me. Please do so anytime. Hey, the show just keeps on rolling. Thanks be to God. Follow us on Facebook, on Twitter. We're all over social media. And like I said, drop me a line anytime love hearing from you the sacramental life we know what we need to do to be beacons of light in this world and we talk about a little elevator pitch of some sort asking the holy spirit to give you the um the grace and the words necessary when you're sharing your faith with others it doesn't have to be a five or ten minute uh diatribe (laughs) it just has to be something short something that gets people's attention 20 30 seconds ask the holy spirit ask the blessed virgin mary Uh, Pick a favorite saint that can intercede for you as well and live life in a state of grace. We know we've got to do that. So Catholics, I know it's not always easy, but we got to go to confession often. That is the most important thing we need to do because we want to receive Jesus worthily in the Eucharist, full stop. And that means we've got to go to confession at least three times every year, every Lent, every Advent. and any time you're in a state of mortal sin, Don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. God bless. We'll chat with you very soon.